The Daily uh, Standard podcast is brought to you today by Quip. Look, the truth is that uh, most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, and we forget to change our brushes on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? Well, for starters, Quip's an electric toothbrush that is a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes. And I can I can attest to this, you know, coming here to Washington, uh, D.C. from Wisconsin, I, I don't want to pack uh, my big heavy one, so the, the Quip toothbrush is perfect. Um, Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes. You do it for two minutes, right? Um, with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Next, Quip's subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. And they also come with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel when, wherever you might take your teeth, which I'm assuming is pretty much uh, everywhere. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash standard. That is spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash standard. It is December 5th, 2018, and it is time for the latest edition of the weekly standard podcast, the Tuesday morning quarterback edition on a Wednesday this time. Starring, as always, our columnist Greg Easterbrook and Greg, let's jump right into the meat of this week's column because I think it's quite an eye-popper, less to do with the product of football on the field and more to do with what happens uh, off of it. And I want to go ahead and just excerpt uh, really quickly. Um, you write, America has an abuse problem with OxyContin and OxyCodone. The NFL, America's king of sports, has a painkiller abuse problem with narcotics and with Toradol, often injected in the training room. The NFL aspires to be a leader institution. The league should lead by allowing players to use marijuana for pain alleviation, offering an example of getting off the hard stuff in exchange for smoking a plant. That is from this week's TMQ column from Greg Easterbrook. And Greg, building off of that, um, obviously marijuana is becoming more culturally acceptable, especially on the medical marijuana front. Um, where is the genesis for this idea come from? I mean, is this is this something that you've been thinking about for a long time? Um, is there any real possibility of this? Do you think happening? And uh, just explain explain a little more about that from your perspective. Well, I would say yes to both, Chris. Uh, everybody knows that there's been a sudden spike in overdose deaths from pain from prescription narcotic painkillers, and there's also been. A, a troubling increase in abuse of them. You don't. Most people who take them don't die, but but narcotic painkillers have strong side effects, and if you take them for more than a week or so, those side effects are very deleterious. So that what caught what what specifically triggered this week's column is that last week, the Centers for Disease Control released its annual study of American longevity stats, and America's longevity, which has been rising like an escalator, and in the mall very nicely ever since the end of World War II has now declined for two consecutive years, almost entirely because of narcotic painkillers. At the same time, we have increased social acceptance of marijuana. Uh, I was just in Colorado, and it, it's everywhere. Marijuana can often, it doesn't work for everybody, but marijuana can often be a pain relief drug. Uh, if we substituted marijuana for narcotic 
painkillers and for Toradol and for other really strong stuff, uh, you, you shouldn't be naive about it. If marijuana was easy to obtain, some people would abuse it. But the kind of abuse you can do with marijuana is, is really pretty minor compared to abusing prescription painkillers and fentanyl and other things that lead to death or to very strong addiction that's really hard to break. Society would be much better off with people smoking weed than, than popping OxyContin, in, not in every case, but in most cases. So shouldn't the NFL, which is the most pain-based major institution in American life, lead the way with this? I think yes. So it's interesting that the NFL Players Association, and I, I don't think a lot of uh, readers would have known this beforehand, Greg, and I certainly count myself among them, uh, but the NFL Players Association actually supports the lawful use of marijuana um, for these pain issues, you're right. And it, the, the league itself, however, doesn't allow it even in states where marijuana is legal. Uh, what it has done, and this is one of my favorite PR things when it comes to government sports or any sort of large institution in American culture, it's promised to quote-unquote study the issue. And of course, nothing uh, ever comes of these sorts of studies. It's just kind of a placeholder uh, response. But spinning off of that, what I'm interested in, Greg, is whether it's going to take uh, an owner with a huge reputation um, in, in the public, not just the NFL, a, a massive Jerry Jones type or somebody like that, to be a leader on this and come out and say, you know what, we should be um, finding new novel ways to make sure that our players are experiencing less pain and this could be one of them. Or if it's going to take somebody within the league office, somebody as high as Roger Goodell, to make something like this happen. What do you think? Well, first, I'll express my gratitude that the, that the NFL hasn't hasn't gone so far as to say we are appointing a national commission to study this issue. Because <laughs> if they use the words national commission, you could be absolutely certain that nothing would ever happen. Uh, in, in, in the case of the league, an, an owner's voice would be much more powerful than Roger Goodell. Uh, I, I think there's an exaggerated understanding of what Goodell does in the NFL. He is Goodell at $40 million a year is the world's highest paid intern. He has no policy making role whatsoever. The owners do all that. Uh, and the owners have their own problems in this regard. You, your listeners may or may not know that about five years ago, uh, Jim Ursi, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, pled mm -hmm. guilty to abusing opioid painkillers and driving while taking a, a, a toxic combination of several of them, plus alcohol. Um, why the NFL Players Association backs the, the lawful use of marijuana for pain controls, I think there's two things. The, the main reason is because they just think it's better than than taking Oxycontin or Percocet or Vicodin, or, and those are all roughly the same thing, although, of course, not exactly the same thing. I think they just think it would be better. It's also a negotiating point with the NFL. Whenever the, the league is negotiating with the union, the union will essentially take the position, well, you don't want us to get X, then give us something else. So that's, that's the union's position. For the NFL, I think it's just all about theatrics. Uh, the mm -hmm. NFL thinks it would look bad if it let players smoke marijuana, even in states where this is legal. I don't agree with that. I think this would have been true in 1950. I don't think it's true in 2018, but the NFL's owners tend to be backward focused, and that's what they think. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, with, with a few sainted exceptions, the NFL's owners could not possibly care less what happens to the health of their players. They think that whole subject is just a big joke. 
there's a few who care about their players, but not many. So to, to argue to them, well, you should do this because it would be better for your players' health, they don't care about their players' health. They need a different motivation. You know, it's it's funny, too, because you, you mentioned this on the image subject, Greg, and, and obviously this is very much an image-driven society nowadays from politics on down, but if the NFL is trying to take some sort of PR stance on this, well, this would make us look bad. I think the NFL would probably look worse for about eight or nine things that are reflecting its league right now, and this would be pretty far down the list. So that's certainly going to be interesting to keep track of moving forward, whether or not they try to make an argument like that. Pivoting uh, to some other football news on the field stuff, I didn't realize, I, I know that we haven't gotten to uh, so-called Black Monday yet, the day on the NFL calendar every year when um, coaches for failing franchises or guys who aren't moving their teams um, forward sufficiently to the fans or owners liking um, are dumped. Mike McCarthy, the uh, latest example uh, in Green Bay, Packers obviously having an underachieving season, Aaron Rodgers getting closer to the twilight of his career. He and Cleveland's Hugh Jackson are already gone, so we're getting an earlier and earlier start um, this year with uh, coaches being dumped. Let's talk about the Packers just for a second here. Do you think that Green Bay's big problem with the product on the field has had to do with the fact that they just don't have a good coach or do their problems run much deeper than that? Well, if you look at Mike McCarthy's career record, obviously the player, the Packers have been playing without spirit this year, and that to a certain extent is on the head coach. And and if you're coaching in the NFL, you have only one responsibility, and that is to produce victories. Uh, that the, the NFL has no significance beyond as a sports entertainment organization. Losses are not particularly entertaining. If you're coaching in college or especially in high school, victory is in theory, at least, it's nice, but you're also leading an educational institution. In the NFL, winner, you're out. So you don't have that much. I, I don't have that much sympathy with Mike McCarthy, even though logically, if you look at his record, his record is quite impressive. He has more playoff mm. victories than Vince Lombardi, which doesn't really sound all that bad to me. But they they have had a crummy season. I think the core of their crummy season, and I. I noted this in the Weekly Standard back in August in my preview of the NFC teams, is that the team's roster is weak. Uh, And coaching magic can cover over some roster weakness, but at bottom, the the Packers have been in a down cycle on talent. Their players just aren't that good. And the front office traded away, ha-ha, Clinton Dix, the guy with the funny name, during the season in order to pick up an extra draft choice. He was one of their better players. The front office behavior on this is almost as if they were looking for a pretext to fire Mike McCarthy. Interesting how uh, the NFL works like that sometimes. You mentioned McCarthy's record, 125-77 and two ties. One of those ties, of course, coming this year against Division foe Minnesota. But yeah, that's you know, almost, I guess, some, somewhere around uh, just about a 65% winning percentage over um, his, uh, his 13-year tenure, but, uh, but definitely, uh, definitely a good run for him in Green Bay. Cleveland, obviously, a different, different story. They're, they're trying um, to, to get on the upswing here after years of um, complete incompetence. Interesting question that I have for you, because I don't want to pair off two franchises like this, different divisions, different uh, recent histories, different conferences. But 
if you are a head coach who is on the market right now and you are looking ahead to 2019 and then let's say a three-year window after that, who would you rather coach, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the final years of his career or the Cleveland Browns? I would answer that in terms of franchises. I'd rather be at Green Bay because it's a prestige franchise, Aaron Rodgers or not. Rodgers may be in decline on an athletic basis. Um, you look at the NFL, there's a handful of prestige places where everybody wants to coach. Dallas, Denver, Washington, both New York, excuse me, New Jersey, I almost said New York, both New Jersey teams, <laughs> Green Bay. And and now because both Los Angeles teams are are playing real well and they're, they're both a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, we could be entering a cycle where the, the Los Angeles teams are prestige places to coach. So Cleveland, Cleveland is a, a better city than given credit for and its arts Arts district has rebounded a lot in the last 20 years. Cleveland is not a bad place to live, but if you're looking for prestige, uh, the Green Bay Packers have got pre- they've got prestige within the, the way the league is structured, and they're always, always, always favored by the league front office and scheduling and other matters. So if I, regardless of Aaron Rodgers, if I wanted to be a head coach and I could choose between Cleveland and Green Bay, I would I would ski daddle to Central Wisconsin. A much newer franchise that is trying to build that sort of prestige, the Houston Texans. And it has become one of my favorite running items in every TMQ column this year. I will quote directly the stats of the week, bullet point number 10. From the point that TMQ predicted that they would reach the Super Bowl to the point that TMQ retracted the prediction that Texans were 4-15, and since TMQ flip-flopped and said they would not reach the Super Bowl, the Texans are 9-0, and zero, nine wins and zero losses. Houston all of a sudden has come out of nowhere after a sloppy start to being one of the stronger teams in the AFC. At this point in the year, Greg, are you entertaining the possibility that we may actually end up getting a Saints-Texas Super Bowl, which was your preseason prediction? Well, that that's what I said to start last year and to start this year. And and uh, I had to flip-flop to change the luck. It, it, readers of Tuesday Morning Quarterback may know that my column's motto is all predictions wrong or your money back. And, and am I really ever proving this with the Texans or not? The Texans have looked like they were just about to be terrific for several years. They've had constant injuries on defense. This year their defense is healthy and playing very well. I love Deshaun Watson. I like to watch him play. I like what he does. He's got this rare combination of athletic ability and I football IQ. He really understands the game. If you watch him, if you, if you look at the coach's film, which is done from above as if, if it's a, as if it was God looking down on the game in, in that three seconds of chaos while he's scrambling around, he almost always locates the open man. That's a real talent that a lot of quarterbacks don't have. And he's got uh, DeAndre Hopkins, who, who has really become one of the best players in the NFL, if not one of the best professional athletes, period. And we, we were just talking about marijuana. You look at DeAndre Hopkins, you think this guy's some stoner at a rock concert. He is a fantastic athlete. And when the ball comes to him, he catches it. And there's an amazing number of guys who are professional receivers who don't do that. So uh, I, think okay. the Tex- I think the Texans could, the state of Texas as a state, is ground zero of football culture in the United States. High school football means more in Texas than it means anywhere else. And it's been, what, 23, 24 years since a team from Texas has been to the Super Bowl? Could be this year, could be the Texans. 
Yeah, last time I think was probably the uh, Cowboys against the Steelers back in '95, right? I, that's that's yeah. actually kind of amazing. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, w- one of the things that I like about the Texans the most, and we hear um, a lot of you know sports analysts talk about leagues in terms of whether or not they're star driven, and the National Basketball Association, of course, with guys like LeBron and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, very much a star-driven league. Now we are in the off-season of Major League Baseball, and everybody is wondering where in the world is Bryce Harper of Washington, D.C. baseball team fame going to end up. The NFL has been a star-driven league in the past, I think, especially with his quarterbacks. There was the era of the Peyton Mannings and the Tom Brady's, and that era has begun to decline as these players age out and many of them like Manning begin to retire. His brother, Eli, of course, was never as big of a star as Peyton was, but he did win a couple of Super Bowls, but he is also in the twilight of his career. The year of the geezer quarterback, you have been calling this. The Texans have a lot of young stars, and I think Deshaun Watson is on the verge of being one of those young stars. Of course, they're outstanding defensive players like Javion Clowney and J.J. Watt, big-time stars. You mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. All of these guys are 30 or younger players who are leading a pretty exciting brand of football. And I definitely think the, uh, the big game that they have with the Indianapolis Colts, who came out of nowhere to win five in a row and then put up a complete stinker and zero points in Jacksonville last week, kind of a, a big game for Indy's playoff hopes, certainly, but could be one of the more sneaky, entertaining games of the week coming up this Sunday. Uh, switching from football now to some of the uh, non-sports-related items in the column, of course, um, the country this week paying ongoing tribute to George H.W. Bush. Um, you and, and many others have noted that, you know, this is really the official end to the involvement of World War II veterans in politics. A, what kind of, of gaping hole do you think that uh, the, the passing of, of H.W. Bush and, and, and those leaders no longer being part um, of the American public leave in society? What are we going to miss the most about that? Well, uh, the, the passing of the greatest generation was always inevitable. I mean, there was no way to change it. It had to happen. Uh, but I think, and maybe maybe I will sound naive and Jim, Jimmy Stewart is ish by saying this, but I think the 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 guy the guys mostly men, a few women, who fought in World War II had a fundamental understanding that America can accomplish things better when everyone works together. Because that's how we won the greatest, greatest is the wrong word, the largest and most challenging military struggle of all of human history. And the current generation doesn't view America that way, of politicians, I mean. The current generation views politics as a way to get ahead, advance my ego, put money in my pocket. Me, 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 me is all we ever hear from our current president and certainly other politicians are like that. Uh, the guy, the, the men who fought in World War II had a different view of what teamwork and 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 mutual mutual respect and 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 social effort means. And the current generation just doesn't have that. And maybe that's because the country's in so much better condition than it was in the 1940s. I don't know, but uh, that sense of teamwork and and pulling together is is now gone from American politics. Maybe it will come back someday, but it's sure gone for the moment. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with the, the public spiritedness of, of a person like H.W. Bush. I mean, I, there has been some media commentary this week about his background and, um, you know, him having, you know, elitism in his blood and his educational pedigree. 
you know, George H.W. Bush was still a man who was a, a war hero fighter pilot, and he didn't have to do that. Um, and I think people forget sometimes the actual expansiveness of his of his career of public service. The, the resume that he built over the course of his full life is absolutely phenomenal. So much of the idea of being a committed public servant has fallen out of favor in the 21st century. Now it's all about I'm an outsider, I'm an outsider, I'm an outsider. You hear that in every campaign. It has only been emboldened now that a true outsider of at least elected politics is the president of the United States. Do you think that there's something about that that we're going to miss too? And, and, and is there any way that we can kind of get that, that appreciation for public service back? Does it, does it deserve to be appreciated the way that we appreciated it with George H.W. Bush? Well, we, we shouldn't sentimentalize him in death to more than he was in life. He had, Bush had many faults. He made many policy mistakes. And uh, I have some personal familiarity with the Bush orbit. And most of the people in it are great people. But that that whole inherited wealth, my daddy got me into Yale thing, could be really grating at times. Um, so, so you ought to react against that. The key thing is that whenever Bush came to shove, George Bush put his own interests ahead excuse me, behind, he put his own interest behind the interests of the nation. And that's what we're missing in politics today. And I think it is possible to revive that sense of civic spirit, uh, where it's certainly not going to happen under Donald Trump. Um, and I don't know if there's a Democrat in the race right now who could be seen as reviving civic spirit, but that, but that's what's missing today. I would, uh, on the note of, of talking about George H.W. Bush here, I would, um, I would encourage uh, readers to go check out, in addition to Greg's uh, column this week and a, a pretty extensive section of the column that he devotes to um, Bush's political record and his career and actually some of the policies that may have been overlooked about his record. Um, Andy Ferguson, um, one of our national correspondents, a longtime member of, of the magazine from, from the very beginning and a former speechwriter for George H.W. Bush, wrote a, a lovely obituary of him from a, from a personal standpoint. George yeah, H.W. Bush, 1924 to 2018, um, easily Googleable by, by Andy Ferguson. I would encourage readers uh, to check that out. Of course, I would always also encourage readers to check out uh, this week's version of Tuesday Morning Quarterback, which again focuses on the novel idea of allowing marijuana as a painkiller in the NFL, a type of topic that I'm sure um, will generate a lot of debate in the years to come as we um, figure out whether or not the league is ever going to get around to truly caring about its players or not. And in the meantime, thanks much as always for taking a few minutes to uh, discuss the contents of this week's column with us, Greg. We look forward to doing the same next week. Okay, thanks, Chris. <laughs>